Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I've said a lot of dumb things in my day, haven't I? I don't think there's ever been a quote from this movie that's related more to my actual life than that one ever before, Zach. (laughs) Of course, though, the alt for my introduction to this episode is, And I'm on the phone, bitch! (laughs) 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 Those are the two I had from this movie. But I have to say, Marlon Brando, speaking the phrase, I've said a lot of dumb things in my day, haven't I? Might be fantastic. Oh, gee, Zach. We are so deep in the fort year. I, I feel like I've said we're continuing on with the Fort Year so many times as we've gone through this. We're not just continuing. We're living in it. We're steeped in it. We're mired in it. We're balls deep in the Fort Year, Rob. Yeah, that you're not wrong. And it's it's everything I kind of expected since our downhill after, like, you know, Monkey Bone and Freddy Got Fingered. We've, we've hit the, the worst of the worst in Shrek. Whoa, whoa. And okay, now, I thought you were going to call this the worst of the worst. No, this I'm is like, not no. the worst of the worst. I think I think the best place to start is I need to correct myself, actually, from earlier in the fort year. I believe when we did, very early on, our uh, suck and blow episode, which, don't get me wrong, I'm very happy that we, Cinemodities, got to release an episode titled Suck and Blow. I'm very happy about that. I believe I said that Blow is the most basic movie ever. I was wrong. The score is the most basic movie ever. <laughs> It's definitely the most painfully bland movie. Painfully bland is a really good way to describe it. I This is one of the movies that we've hit a few times in the 2001 Fort Year that I had more fun researching than actually watching because this movie also feels its length. I know I've said that before for most recently AI, artificial intelligence. Turns out that was a good movie. This movie feels it length, its length and is not interesting. I think what better way than just to get into it why the hell are we talking about this movie, Zach? Of course, you're the curator of the Fort Year. I don't know why I say that every time you're here. Why, why this one? I'm, I'm still in the boat that we could have done Moulin Rouge. Yes, it came out three months earlier than this movie, but that's close enough. <laughs> it would have been Baz Luhrmann, Zach. <laughs> Rob, nostalgia's a bitch. That's all you need to know. Nostalgia is a bitch. Well, I guess that... Leads to my, my the question I always ask you in the fort year. Did you see this in theaters? What what nostalgia I, do you have for this? I did see this in theaters. Really? I have my ticket stub. That's surprising. Stubs. I did not expect stubs. That. There's three stubs. Okay. I'm glad this is one of those movies that like like I honestly probably remember more of my experience going to see this and like the my quote unquote hype looking like looking forward to seeing it than probably the movie itself. Okay. So, okay. like, like as Rob and I have discussed numerous times over the four years so far, that 2001 was a formative year for me with movies. And one of the movies I saw, like, in early 2001 was a movie called, um, oh, God, Keeping the Faith okay. with Jenna Elfman, uh, Ben Stiller, and Edward Norton. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I had the movie on VHS somewhere. That's a romance, but, right? It's, I don't even know what it is. I've not watched that movie in over 20 Isn't years. Isn't it a love triangle movie where Edward Norton and Ben yes. Stiller are trying to bang Jenna Elfman? Jenna Elfman, yeah. And, and she's like, no, is- I want to bang Jim Carrey and go act in fun with Dick and Jane. 
Is that no? That's shit. That's Taylor <laughs> I can't believe I confused Taylor. Like I'm not you that surprised. Suck. I confused Taylor with Jenna Elfman. You suck, Rob. <laughs> hey, Rob. Those like, those are both ingenues that are on the same level as the scores of movie. Very forgettable and basic. This is this uh, is my payback because I think last week, if I'm remembering our timeline correctly, because we live in the turnstile. We live in the turnstiles. Uh, you said uh, Doctor Aki Ross was 86 on the Maxim Hot 100, uh, and you were wrong. This is where I'm wrong this week. So you know, tit for tat, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the scales are balanced. Um, but no, so what happened was, like, I, yes, it's like a weird, like, romance, because I think, oh, God, Ben Stiller's a, a rabbi, and Edward Norton is, like a, like, a Catholic priest, so it creates this weird sort of just, like, dynamic. Like, I have it on VHS somewhere. At some point, I will dig it out and, and rewatch it. I just have no interest right now in doing so. <laughs> um, but so, like, I became kind of, like, low-key interested in Edward Norton as an actor in 2001. I remember wanting to see American History X as a child. My mother was like, no, you are not going sure. anywhere near American History X. But I'm like, it has Edward Furlong, and he was in Terminator 2. Mommy, like, no. curb stomping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, mommy, what are neo-Nazis? Um, <laughs> it's like, nope, not touching that. And so, like, I remember this movie kind of being, like, promoted, obviously, in the summer of 2001. Um, and I wanted to see it. Like, I'm pretty – because, like, it, looking at my ticket stubs, I saw this on August 3rd with – and there's actually a really – I actually – probably my fondest and most impressionable memory of this is waiting online to buying tickets for this movie – Beyond the movie itself. But yeah, I saw this with my mother and father at 3.55 on August 3rd, 2001. And what happened was like, I just wanted to see it. I would imagine it was probably an easy sell for my parents based on the fact that it like had De Niro. It was sure. like a, it was a crime thriller, um, a, like something like that. It's directed and by Yoda. Absolutely. I, I, I would imagine if you put a gun to my parents' heads, they couldn't have told you who Frank Oz was. Maybe, maybe my father, my father might have known he was Miss Piggy. Maybe my, okay, I, my, my okay. father, my father knew weird trivia like that. Um, but anyway, though, this is okay. My- don't hedge your bets, Zach. I know that your entire family was excited that a movie, a, a heist movie, was directed by Agra from The Dark Crystal. <laughs> Well, come on, Rob. If you're not rock hard about that, nothing will. Um, I just want to let everybody know when I had to say the words "the Dark Crystal," I physically shuddered. If that did not oh, come I, across in my in my vocal performance right there, might <laughs> uh, might we say on the record that's maybe one of the, like the scariest and awful films we've ever had to watch or cinema. On. Oh yeah, there, there's a reason that I think I brought up at least two times now that we should commit genocide against the Gelflings from that movie. There's a, a Rob, real reason for that. <laughs> Rob, there's one thing we should probably do, like like make note of it for the, for the uh, fourth year anniversary. Um, we should go like, – there should be a thing where we go back and we, like, like, we pick like one movie that should be like expunged, like each of us, like from like <laughs> – like not just from like like from existence. You talk about like sealing the records on cinemodities type of thing. Something like burning the negative. Like, let's go more than that. Like we go Avi Arad and like burn the print of like the Roger Corman Fantastic. Well, we if this is the new if this is the new idea, we've done ourselves a disservice because in the middle of the Dark Crystal episode, we talk about Death Kiss. We can't expunge that. No, no, just the movie, not not the discussion. Mm, okay, this is something we're gonna have to well, iron out the details me, let, of off let mic. Me, I think. Let me. Okay, because I think, in all honesty, if we are to do something like this, I think we both know what our number one candidate would be as to what film we would expunge from existence. So let me throw a caveat in there: <laughs> it can't be Doctor Sleep. 
Because Doctor Sleep already has been destroyed. We do not like. I want it on record now that anytime I'm with people, like, the it, mass audiences expunge Doctor Sleep from existence. Good. No, they have. Yeah, yes, but there's there's a following for that movie, and I need to watch. Like, I want to be George Lucas with the holiday special. Not until every single like like. I don't know, morsel, atom of existence of Dr. Sleep is gone, I will not be happy. That film needs to be destroyed. Like, I am 100% against any destruction of, like, art or media. Dr. Sleep needs to go away. It's cinematic cancer. It needs to be obliterated. That's fair. You saying Avi Arad is a great example. I want to pull from, of course you were not here for it, Zach, but something I regularly cite, the, the line from Under the Silver Lake, uh, Rob will not be happy until all Dr. Sleeps are dead. <laughs> good. Good. Exactly. Um, but anyway, though, that uh, tangent aside when it comes to that. Um, but no, so this is Rob's going to love the context for me seeing the score in theaters. I am. I'm, I, I'm actually shocked that you even saw it in theaters. But I, it makes well, sense ex- if you went to your parents, so sure. I, I, I was excited for this. Like I'm the one who asked them to go. This wasn't like one of those times like Castaway where I was dragged begrudgingly. Um, like When it came to going to the movies, I was always the one who initiated it. It was almost impossible to get my parents to go to the movies on their own volition. Sure. Usually I had to have some level of excitement for it. The only two times I can remember being quote-unquote dragged to a movie was aforementioned castaway yeah when i was oh god eight years old and the second time in probably one of my favorite movie going experiences ever was i can i'll never forget this i think it was like november of 2003 i can remember sitting in my living room in florida my father walked across our lanai through our sliding glass door and goes come on we're going to see we're going to see master and commander the far side of the world <laughs> and i just and i'm just like okay like i'm not against going to the movies and this is and this is it gets better Zach's like is, the boat movie <laughs> no, but, i'm assuming that's is, how young you were <laughs> no but no but there's a stinger to this to this uh antidote we get to the box office and he turns around to me and goes what's the name of the movie you want to see and i just looked at him and i'm like what <laughs> like i didn't like I, I wasn't against seeing this movie but I was not the catalyst for this. Somehow between him, like, coming to me, and then us driving to the movie theater. Like, this all happened in the span of an hour. He had completely forgot as to why we were going yeah, to the what movies. Is, what is that, like, nearly, God, <laughs> for some reason I want to say nearly Kevorkian experience of asking <laughs> you something in front of a, a customer service agent. That's so strange. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Him coming up to me saying come on, we're going to see this movie. Me being like, <laughs> okay, like passive agreement. We get there and yeah. him being like, tell the person what it is that you want to do. And it's like, like this was your, I, did, like, like, I know that sounds like a meme, <laughs> but this is your idea. It's like, I had no part in so being strange. like, a, yeah. <laughs> but, but as somebody who knew my father very briefly, Rob can tell you, this was a hundred percent in character for him. Oh no, like, I, absolutely. Uh, That's the other thing I was thinking of is, uh, a hundred percent on brand. 100%. Whenever Zach talks to me about his dad, I always think of the fact that he called, uh, Barack Obama, Obama because he doesn't deserve the O. <laughs> I don't know what I, that means, but <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> oh, God, my father. My father, like, like, he was losing his mind for a while, but this was, like, back in 2003. This was a, that, that was unique for him at the time. Um, anyway, though, back to the score. Okay, so we were waiting in line for this. It was the summer of 2001. I had just, quote-unquote, graduated third grade. And my third grade uh, teacher was Mrs. Johnson. 
very tough, tough, very strict teacher, but like definition of like a teacher you would want someone that like held you accountable. One of those people like, like, Pressure makes diamonds. And I I think I've mentioned before, I went to a Baptist Christian school. As Rob probably knows, the score is an R-rated film. Ooh. I can remember go like seeing her in line, like I think we could see we went like in the afternoon and like like kind of like early evening. I remember seeing her and her husband in line going, Oh, Mrs. Johnson, like like nice to see you. And she's like, Oh, Zach, like nice to see you too. Like, like me and my husband are going to see the princess diaries. What are you and your family seeing? <laughs> the, and I turned around and said, the score. <laughs> and she just looked at me. And, like, she walked away. She's like, oh, well, that's nice. Like, good to see you. Like, see you, like, next year. Or, like, I don't know. School, the school year was starting in a couple of weeks. Like, I see imagine you in, a couple in, the, of weeks. in the theater of the universe that when you said that, the Inception played to her. <laughs> you know the best part was? After that exchange happened, my mother turned around to me and goes, Probably best not to tell her you're going to see an R-rated film. <laughs> but yeah, it's like I, I, perfect. Like it was brilliant. Like like the fact that my my elderly like she, this, this was a, Mrs. Johnson was easily like in her sixties. Sure. And she's going to see the PG-rated Princess Diaries starring Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews, and I'm seeing the R-rated crime thriller starring Robert De Niro, Edward Norton, and Marlon Brando, directed by Miss Piggy. <laughs> um, bro, I, I, I remember that moment more than the actual. You know what my memories are about that about the actual movie is that there's a scepter. Marlon Brando sits down for the entire movie, and at some point, out of nowhere, Edward Norton like betrays Robert De Niro, and it gets immediately resolved. Okay, you lost me at that- scepter. <laughs> <laughs> No, that is a wildly fascinating story for context. That's why regarding that's why we're film. talking. That's why we're talking about this movie, Rob. We're not talking about the movie itself. Just it's just here for me to tell that antidote. That's fair. That's fair because you you've taken the cake. I I've never seen this movie before watching it for this recording. I've only knew about it because it was Brando's final movie. And the legends of how difficult he was on set for it, which we're going to talk about because that's what most of my notes revolve around. I I am actually kind of stunned that you have history with this movie in such a fun way. That was fun, Zach. (laughs) Usually, Zach and I have stories to tell. Like, I think, you know, last week we did it with uh, Final Fantasy Spirits Within when I went on my tirade about Final Fantasy and Zach made a sandwich during it. I legitimately had fun during that story that you just told me, Zach. It it just goes to show that Zach and I could be friends for this many years and still learn something about one another. <laughs> I love it, Rob. That's this is why the Fort Year exists. Like, cause it's moments like that. Like, like yeah, like Rob has to realize like there's some great moments in like him and I going to see movies. But like whether it be the Galleria just constantly frustrating me, the Chinaman oh, in Lone Ranger. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, that that's a thing that happened. The, like, uh, again, the Hawaiian rolls with cashew butter, which was documented on this podcast. Yes. That was fun. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Chinaman in the Lone Ranger? What? Yeah, the Chinaman. Remember the Chinaman in the Lone Ranger? No. Yeah, there's a scene where someone they're working on the railroad, and he's like, "Get those Chinamen to make the railroad." Somebody in Lo- – a character in Lone Ranger screams Chinaman at one point. We laughed a lot about it. <laughs> There's a lot of things that happen in the Lone Ranger that are inexplicable. 
Chinaman is one. Barry Pep Perry Pepper like stroking Helen Bomb Carter's ivory faux leg, Rob. I'm saying Chinaman. I don't know how many I don't know if I'm everything gonna bleep this out, but Chinaman too. <laughs> everything in the Lone Ranger is insane. It's two and a half hours long. Johnny Depp is Tonto somehow is the least offensive thing in that movie. We have like like remember the, the zombie jackalopes? Oh the Chinaman. Army Hammer East people. <laughs> Like, remember when that movie was coming out, the most egregious thing was, oh, man, like, Johnny Depp is playing Tonto. That is literally the most normal thing about that movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one day, I think, if you, as you said before on Cinemodies, we will get to the Lone Ranger. But, Zach, can I give you not my context? Because I just did. I never saw this movie. I only know about it. I, I don't want to give you my context. I want to give you my big takeaway from the score. They never tell us what the score is. When I sat down to watch this movie, I thought it was going to start with, like, oh, it's 0-0. Zero, zero. And then maybe something happens and it's 1-0. And then maybe 1-1. One, one. There's no score in this movie. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the score is, like, 15 love, Robert De Niro. No, in complete honesty, I think I, I, I have alluded to it, if not explicitly stated it, in this however long you've been recording, maybe 15 minutes this is the most basic movie of all time. I have more interesting things to say about the behind-the-scenes nonsense that allegedly went on that I have some corroboration never actually happened. This might be the most basic movie of all time, save the fact that Edward Norton pretends to be a mentally handicapped person. And, and Zach, I, I don't want to jump ahead too far. I don't know how you thought this conversation was going to go, but... I, I I don't know if there's anything really to talk about with this movie other than Edward Norton pretending to be mentally handicapped. <laughs> it's like I had completely forgotten about that moment in the movie. So like when it ha- I, I, I literally had no memory of that. So like when that <laughs> happens, I literally went, oh, no, it's it's kind of immaculate in the sense that, you know, There's been a few movies that I've watched in the last five years, maybe seven years now, because time didn't really matter in the last two years when we were going through quarantine. Um, But I I think of the times that I watched Good Time, the Safdie Brothers movie with Robert Pattinson, the movie they did before Uncut Gems. There's a moment in the middle of that movie when I was watching it, and I won't spoil it because I think it is so well-earned, when I stood up from my couch and I screamed alone in my apartment. I was so shocked by the twist. I think this also happened in recent times, you know, maybe with Enemy. Like, with how boring and and almost painful the first 12 to 15 minutes of Enemy is, when the, the shoe drops and you understand what Enemy's about, that's like, I stood up and I was screaming with how in awe I was of a film. The score did that to me. The score did that to me in the sense of I thought Edward Norton was just pretending to be mentally challenged to get De Niro's attention in that first scene. But when the shoe drops and the reveal that Edward Norton is literally living a second life as a mentally handicapped janitor, I stood up and screamed at my television. I think that's the best way to say it, Zach. When the reveal came that Edward Norton was going to be doing this character in the movie for an extended period of time, I went, this earns a star for me. <laughs> like, I I completely, like, when he, like, I, I fell into the same trap that you did. Like, when he confronts De Niro for the first time on the street, I'm like, oh, God. 
I'm like, oh, no. Let's ruin the plot. Should I? I don't know. Should I even try and do this? Should I bleep that out? Should I attempt to do Edward Norton? Because I think, like I said before we started recording, I was trying to perfect my Edward Norton acting as a mentally handicapped person. I fell into Tom Green. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even, like, like, let the man, like, he, he gives himself the rope to hang himself. Just, just, just put the clips in. The clips will probably do it justice. You're right. You're right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Excuse me. Can you help me, please? Can, can you help me? Class Norman? Yes, yes. You go to the corner, you make a right, you go two blocks. Two. Two blocks, then a left for one block. Again, please? Two blocks on the corner, two blocks this way, one block that way, to the left. And you're right there. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Nick. What? What'd you say? I said thank you, Nick. I, I can't stop myself from doing it, though. That's the thing. It is wildly interesting. <laughs> it's, it's, it's inexplicable and bizarre that he decides to, like, go this route. And nobody at any point has said, you know what? Why? Can we agree, though? This is something that I, I really have I thought about after, as I was watching and after I finished this movie, which was a little under two days ago now. Can we agree? I really want to get your opinion on this. Edward Norton doing that, doing the the really mentally handicapped persona to instigate the heist, is that what carries the movie? Because I think it is. What do you think? It's the it's the only interesting part of the movie. Well, well, sure. I think that's that might be a fait accompli. That is the only interesting part <laughs> of the movie. I think that's the only thing that really made me want to keep watching this movie. This movie is two hours of bullshit. Other than that. <laughs> it's two hours of just like kind of just like like it's just like it's it's a definition of like TNT Sunday afternoon fodder. Yes. Yeah, no, you're not wrong by saying that. And when you say two hours of TNT Sunday fodder, there's a reason that the show leverage runs on the early afternoons of TNT. It's the same goddamn thing except stretched to two hours. Leverage, for anyone that doesn't know, was a show that every 40 minutes revolves around a different heist they'd have to do. This was that stretched to almost nauseating circumstances. I honestly believe if Edward Norton did not continue his mentally handicapped performance as a a la Simple Jack of Tug Speedman from Tropic Thunder, I might have shot myself while watching this movie. This movie might be the worst thing if not for Edward Norton. I don't know if it would be the worst thing, but it would be to miss the most. Again, it's kind of like, is undercooked rice with no seasoning the worst thing? Technically, no. Yes! No! Yes! Is it? Oh my god, that's the shit that you eat and you go... Why am I alive? I feel like under-seasoned food, to use that analogy, not to go from rice, but rice is a good example. Under-seasoned food is the thing you eat. Once you've tasted better, it's the thing you eat, and you go, man, wouldn't it be better if I wasn't tasting anything at all? I guess. I guess, but, like, it at least gives you nutrients. Like, that's that it. Like, watch this movie. so privileged, what I just said. <laughs> I after after we are coming a few weeks off of how we talked a lot about privilege and sexual scandal in the Pootie Tang episode, I realized what I said was very privileged. 
But that's the thing, though, about this movie is that, like, like probably my only favorite scene in this entire movie is when Edward Norton confronts the two, like, weird, like, goons in the – not even confronts. They have, like, the meetup in the park. With no, the weird, like, no, no, you, no. You are not are saying like, to me that's I, the, I, your I favorite scene found... in the movie. That is the most nauseating, painfully dumb I know, scene. I, I know it is. I found it amusing because it's like oh. they picked two extras off the sidewalk and they're like, hey, you want to act in a movie? And it's just like it's God so like, it. it's so amateur hour. We okay. I didn't I didn't expect this to happen, but I think what with what you just said, we're hitting men, women, and children level of discourse. Oh. I think I think oh. that scene is the most offensive, yes. dumb, stupid yes. piece of filmmaking yes. that I've seen yes. in the last twenty years yes. in my I life. Agree. I might say. I agree. That's why I found it amusing. No, the only oh thing the only thing could have made that scene better is Edward Norton was do- doing the simple Jack. Don't, like if he was doing that during <laughs> it, it would have been like. I, Don't lie to us, Zach. You're about to say the the only way that scene could have been better is if the cousin in that scene would have went. I'd like to fuck her if I could find the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That scene is he was so... Edward... That is the worst scene in the movie. Rob, every scene in the movie is the worst scene in the movie. No, 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 no. You're wrong there. The movie is complete garbage until the 79-minute yes. mark when the heist starts, and then it becomes garbage that you might have found a little bit of seafood in. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if you're a homeless person, God, I'm being I'm being so privileged right now. Maybe you like a little bit of thrown out shrimp with the shit sack in it. That's what this movie oh is. My God. Complete garbage turned into maybe you like eating shrimp with the shit sack may, in it. This movie I, may, okay. is so basic. If I may make an analogy, I might be kind of like tipping my cards a little too much when it comes to snack. This is like almost like taking like garbage and putting it in a sausage casing and serving it. <laughs> like it like from a distance it looks presentable. But then like the closer you get to it and then eventually when you like cut it, you're like, hmm, this seems odd. Then like you take a bite and you realize, oh oh wow, Edward Norton's doing simple jack. I love that analogy because the sausage casing is literally Marlon Brando's skin. <laughs> <laughs> His face right. is so wide in this movie. I can only there's only Maybe two celebrities of the of the modern era that I've seen and said their face is too wide, and it's Marlon Brando in this movie. And yes, I acknowledge that this movie is from twenty years ago. The other one is Mariska Hargitay. <laughs> their face is too wide. They are stretched thin of skin. <laughs> Zach, this is a doozy. This is a doozy right here. Uh, oh, this God. movie is. Not good though. I think that's what I want to get. I, I what I what I don't think I've gotten from you yet know. is what I, do you think I don't about know if this I'd movie? It's not good. I just say it's like pedestrian to a fault. Yeah, that. But I think, I think this is competently made. It's just like it's 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 the equivalent of just like like making like like a pot of rice. It's like how do you screw it up? And at the end of the day, it's just like you have like so many great ingredients. You have Robert De Niro, Edward Norton, Marlon Brando, being Marlon Brando. <laughs> And you have like all like it's a crime thriller. It's like oh okay, like like a heist film. Like oh what could like like the ingredients are all there, and yet somehow it just doesn't it, it doesn't mesh into anything. Like it's there. Like yes. it's like eh. Like it's yeah. it's just like it, it's the bare minimum. Like you have so much going for you. There's so much potential, and it just like kind of just like collapses out of the gate. But I think that's why I hate it more. Is exactly what you just said. Is that a movie with these actors 
And this material, a heist movie, this is a pure heist movie. This should not be this bland. I know. And I'm, I'm really sad to say it because we have to admit, this is the third movie of, of Frank Oz that we're covering. We've done Dark Crystal, garbage, 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 garbage. I won't dignify anything past that. And Little Shop of Horrors. The best musical ever, as far as I'm concerned. Frank Oz is not the right person to direct a Brando De Niro heist film, right? Well, from what? Well, I don't know. He's trying to branch out, so I give him credit for at least trying to like, go well, outside no, his comfort zone. You're not zone. wrong. He's trying to branch out, but you have to realize he's trying to branch out after almost a decade and a half of comedy. I don't think this is the right time to branch out. Okay, Rob, give us give us the like like production context to this. Like Miss Piggy. From what I, I, I know, Miss Piggy. <laughs> if only Miss Piggy was in this. If only she was the Angela Bassett character, then we'd have a movie. Um But no. So like I remember like like when this movie came out, the only reason why anybody wanted to be involved with it was because Marlon Brando was attached. That's, That's the only reason why anybody wanted to be involved. Literally, Otherwise, if you do any research, that is why Edward Norton signed on to this movie. He said, oh, De Niro and Brando, count me in. That's it. That's the end of the story. <laughs> Which is kind of, like, fun to think about. This is, like, a weird, like, redux of, like, Godfather Part 2. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to diminish... the Godfather. I don't want to diminish the fantastic quote I found from Peter Travers of Rolling Stone. Uh, he said in his he review... with 12 out of 10? No, he did not give it a 12 out of 10. I didn't look up what he gave it. but Best but film I, of the summer, fourth time he gave that rating that week. Peter Travers' quote of his review of this movie might be exactly how I feel about this movie, and I want to read it verbatim because I think it's so good. So he said, start of the quote, This is the kind of movie that makes people say, I'd pay to see these guys just read from the phone book. But there's nothing you can't see coming in this flick, including the surprise ending. Quick. Somebody get a phone book, end quote. <laughs> I really agree with that. I really fucking, I think I would rather see Brando, De Niro, and Norton just read random words to me. <laughs> I just want to see Marlon Brando just to put like, put, like, a, like a webcam like in his house and so I just want to watch him do things. Well, we, we're going to have to get into some of the background that that might have been what happened in this movie. You know what, you know what I really want to do? Like, you know, I think we've all talked about how IMDb is the bastion of knowledge and truth. Well, yes, well, of I, course. It's, 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 it it's the modern-day library of Alexandria, of course. It exactly. can't be burned down. It, it's indisputable. Um, indisputable. What I want to do is I want to take the description of Supersize Me. And just take out the words Morgan Spurlock and replace it with Marlon Brando and put that in the trivia for this film. I don't even know what's on the Super Size Me IMDb trivia page, but I can assume it amounts to Morgan Spurlock is the biggest piece of shit that's ever existed. <laughs> I just want to replace the summary of that with Morgan Marlon Brando's name and plug it in and be like, on the set of the, of the score, Marlon Brando ate McDonald's for every single meal. <laughs> And no one could recreate the <laughs> the outcome. That's perfect. That is wonderful. <laughs> I want to do that so badly. The whole time, it's like, I guess thing. Like as I was watching this movie, I had more fun fantasizing about like alternate realities than the actual just events of the film that were transpiring. Well, okay, when you say that, I really, I really want to nail this down. I think this movie sucks. Do you agree? 
I think it's bland to a fault. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's 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 so like okay, Rob. Do you remember from the Hangover Part Two? This is a really weird thing to like quote from. Penis. There's like a sure. Um, Ken Jong penis. Um, <laughs> there's a part where like Ed Helms is like like soon to be bride's father, like gives some sort of toast, like condemning Ed Helms, and he's like, Ed Helms is like rice. It's very bland and basic, and yeah, it helps like premature yeah. babies. If we can insert the clip, I, I, Lord Rob, I, Lord help you have the finest clip. Thank you, Teddy. The hands of a brilliant musician. And one day, a great surgeon. I admit it. When I first met Stu, I was not quite sold. He seemed unattractive. He lacked intelligence and imagination. He was missing the spark you look for in a man. But then I look into Stu's eyes. He reminded me of my sweet brother. Chayo. For those who do not know, Chayo is learning disabled and lives in a group home. <laughs> but Chayo loves dog. And that's when I realized Stu is dog. Dog is soft white rice in lukewarm water. It has no taste. We feed it to small baby and uh, very old people. It is nourishment that everyone can digest. The world needs Joe, just as the world needs people like Stu. To my sweet daughter and Stu, congratulations. Here, here. Cheers. <laughs> Zach, you don't understand how much editing I do <laughs> for this show. You know, so, how, you know how much I'm going to scrub through fucking Hangover Part 2 to find that clip? It's like in the first half an hour. Oh, wow. Thank you for narrowing it down for me. The movie's only like <laughs> 75 minutes. You're fine. Um, anyway, though, like like, the, like that father character is just like, yeah, like, like so-and-so like rice oh. is like, like there's nothing to it. It's bland, yes. but it's there to like I feed only remember babies. the fact that the father from Hangover Part 2 is the police chief from Falling Down. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, so sure. Uh, that's a discussion for a later episode of Cinemodities. I won't, I won't belabor that fact. <laughs> but the point being is that I don't think this, like, it's, it kind of comes down to like two trains of thought. It comes down to our thing. This is like the Marvel Studios dilemma now. Is that like those movies are so bland and by the numbers, you can't fault them. Like they're not like objectively bad. They're just bland. And that's what the score is. The score is not an objectively bad movie. Like, everything's in focus, as Rob loves to say about some of these movies. <laughs> so, objectively speaking, it's fine. But it's the worst. Like, it's the most, oh, my God, atrocious offender in that it's just forgettable. Like, I'm like, there's this movie that I remember back when I was in college I saw called The Debt. It stars Jessica Chastain and the bad guy from, like, James Bond, Casino Royale, and Quantum of Solace. I think it's Mr. White was his character's name. I don't remember the, the actor's name. And it's about like Are you I think about a bunch the of score like, from 2001. <laughs> I am not talking about the score from 2001. I'm talking about the debt from 2011. But this is why I said after I saw that movie, I remember telling the cinema professors who I've talked about numerous times. They're like, oh, like we saw that movie. I'm like, yeah, me too. And like, what'd you think of it? I'm like, it's the best forgettable film I've ever seen. And they're like, wow, 
what a spot on description of that film <laughs> is that like something can be objectively fine. It's just like, but it's also forgettable. And I think that's what this film is. I think this film is just like, it's, it's the definition. I think we've talked about like Big Mac cinema. Yeah. Yeah. There's different shades of Big Mac cinema. Like Avengers Endgame is like the McRib. It's a once in a lifetime. It's like, it's a quote unquote once in a lifetime event, but at least it's something that's slightly outside the norm. Yes. The score is a definition of like a quarter pounder. It's like it'll get like if you're just bored on a hot summer day and you want to get out of the heat for two hours, it will do that. And you won't be the worst thing in the world. Like, is it Hannibal? I want to go further and say that it's not a quarter pounder. It's a McChicken. It's a dollar menu McChicken. It's the the dollar filet fish filet fish costs more than a dollar now, Zach. Doesn't uh, it now? It's the Not 2001. It's 2001, Rob. It's 2001, okay, so okay. it costs a dollar. Cinemodities at gmail.com. Tell us how <laughs> you remember getting a filet of fish in 2001. <laughs> For a dollar. For a dollar. Please, um, we're begging you. Please email in. We need right. content for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob. I will concede a little bit more to you. It's a filet fish with the tartar sauce that's been sitting in the sun for a couple hours. Okay. Fair. Okay. Fair. <laughs> Fair. It's the, it's the filet of fish from yesterday. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's kind of been sitting under the heat lamp for a few hours. So it's a little dry. That's out. the filet of fish from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! This movie um, kind of <laughs> sucks. I, I want to make that clear. Why? Okay, Rob, give me a specific scene that kind of sucks. Uh, everything without Edward Norton pretending to be mentally handicapped. <laughs> okay, no, actually, Fair. to give you Angela an example, ba- anything with Angela Bassett and Robert De Niro. Okay, I'll give you a perfect example. It takes thirty minutes to get okay. to our main characters to even but start is- to plan the heist. Thirty minutes. Thirty fucking minutes. We get in a to heist Marlon, movie. We that get should to watch be at the Marlon ten Brando minute mark. Waddle through a a French Canadian bar and sit in a chair. That to me is worth the first thirty minutes. No, no. Yes. Okay, Rob. Well, well as we, I was watching that, I thought, how many takes do you think for the? How many takes did it take for you think they, for them to get just one that was usable for the final cut? <laughs> Well, this, this, I was asking not, myself those hypothetical questions That's a good every point. single time Marlon Brando was on screen. And I was amusing myself. That's a good point because Marlon Brando, as we know, he he literally is a human being that has coral reefs protruding from his asshole <laughs> at every point in time. We've established that on Cinematis. That is canon, not only to our podcast but to reality as a whole. I I give you that, Zach. Here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. If we're going to jump into Brando as a character, because I think that's a lot of what I have to talk about, I have a question for you. At any point watching this movie, and if you can, please separate watching this movie from research you've done, which I don't know which if, if Zach has done any. Do you think at any point Marlon Brando's character of Max is a homosexual? I want to know. I want to know, Zach. This is this is a legitimate question. This isn't Rob being goofy. This is I want to know if you think he is a gay man at any point in this movie. I okay. As I was watching this, that not that idea never crossed my mind. But now that you put the idea in my head, I could see where that argument could come from. Not that I disagree. Not that I agree with it. But I could see where that case could be made. You have answered this perfectly. That while watching this movie. This does not come across because I feel the same way. 
when I watched this movie for the first time in preparation for this recording, I at no point thought that Max, Marlon Brando's character, was a gay man. You did or did not? Did not. Apparently, from my research, this was a major marketing point at the very beginning of this film. Really? Yes, and that's the thing that I was kind of blown away by. I A, a large part of my research and things I'm going to reference relate back to a 2001 article from before this movie came out titled How to Make a Score. And that Time article says very heavily that Marlon Brando is playing a homosexual. I have no problem against Marlon Brando being a gay man, but that comes across zero in the final product of the film. And this is what I wanted to ask you, Zach. Did you think that Max was a gay man at any point, whether it be the beginning when he's setting up the score or whether it be kind of the start of the third act when he is by his empty pool at the basement of his mansion saying, oh, De Niro, you gotta fuck with this artifact for me. (laughs) That never crossed my mind, but it's fascinating that this film might be, like, one of the first examples in modern, like, blockbuster filmmaking of, like, gay, like, gay baiting. (laughs) I like that. Gay baiting is a funny phrase, Zach. Um, But, so, here's the thing. Queer baiting. Queer baiting. That's the exact term. Queer baiting. Uh, No, queer is different from gay. Don't. Don't think you can, Zach. Don't you know? You might be an ally. Don't, I'm don't sorry. jump on that. Don't I'm jump sorry. On that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cinematis audience. Feel file, feel free to unsubscribe and leave zero out of five stars. Here's the thing: that when Brando, from what I've read, from two articles that I've read, there's not a lot on this. Like everything that you read about the score, it relates to these two articles. These two articles say that when Brando first showed up to film the score, he came on with full makeup and acting over-the-top flamboyant. And Frank Oz, the director of this film, said, can you take it down? And Brando obliged, but returned by saying, reportedly, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So literally, Brando, from everything I've read, Brando wanted to play this role as... Philip Seymour Hoffman in Flawless, like brandishly, garishly saying, I want my dick and balls cut off. That's how Brando wanted to play this character. And and honestly, and from what I've read, when I say honestly, I mean what I've read. This is where the tension between Brando and Oz started, because Brando came into this role as a I am a man who wants to be a woman. And Oz said, Please dial back. And Brando obliged because of what you can read due to production or studio manager's, uh, you know, pressure. He said, okay. Brando did this but said, I hate you for making me do this. And this is where I'm assuming a lot of what we're going to talk about in this movie, the tension between Oz and Brando started. And, And the sense is that can you imagine this movie? With Brando playing a over-the-top, flamboyantly gay man. Like, Zach, I think my first question is, Zach, have you seen Flawless? The Philip Seymour Hoffman playing a transgender man, teaching Robert De Niro, who just had a stroke, Joel Schumacher film? Have you ever seen that? I have not, Rob. Uh, It's a great movie. I actually really like that movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> Joel, Joel Schumacher, as a teaser, might get his day on this podcast uh, because Zach does not know this. I am four movies short of watching Joel Schumacher's entire filmography as of this recording. That's what Brando wanted to play. Brando wanted to play deeply seated wishing transgender, if that makes sense. And that's not what we get in this movie, but that's what he wanted to play. I think that is almost the most interesting thing to talk about at this point, is that could you imagine Marlon Brando playing I want a surgery to make me a woman, if this is the best way to say it? (laughs) Never mind how insanely out of place it is in a film where that's not even like an issue, but... No, no, you're right. That that's the point. That's the point. I don't think the movie gains or loses anything from Max being homosexual, right? No, I, I don't see how that plays into anything based on what we've seen. But he's in debt to the mob. It doesn't matter if you're fucking men or women or animals or statues. You're in debt to the mob, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Like I said, it's there if you're looking for it, but I think that's it, it's subtext at best. Which is a better which is a better Marlon Brando response. I've got Reese coming out of my ass or just a straight up just like like F you. Exactly. And and that's the thing that interests me is that you have from everything I've read, which we haven't discussed a lot about in our previous Frank Oz episodes, Frank Oz is a hard-headed person. He's even gone on record after this movie came out saying, I was combative with my actors. I should have been more nurturing, but I was really aggressive with them. He's admitted to this. It, it's really interesting to hear that response and getting the response of Brando going, hey, you're the director. I'm going to do what you want me to do. But listen, don't fall asleep near me. I'm going to murder you. Like, like Brando is a very angry person in general. <laughs> <laughs> By angry, you mean fascinating individual, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, so that's where I wanted to start. But, you know, of course, if anybody does any research, basically the consensus of everybody that worked on this movie is that people had discrepancies and disagreements on the set of the score – And it boiled down to creative differences. And that's fine. I think Zach and I can agree with that. If Zach and I ever made a movie together, we'd have creative differences. Somebody can make a five-minute YouTube video about Zach and I blowing up at each other about crazy things. That's just what happens when multiple strong personalities come together to create something. And I think that that is something I want to talk about, if, uh, if you're ready for it, Zach, is the is the legends that the score behind the scenes tale has with like American cinema culture versus what really happened. So I think my first question is you, you had to have heard about some of this nonsense, right? Zach is you hear about the stories that like Frank Oz was berated constantly by Marlon Brando and Marlon Brando would call him Miss Piggy and say, you can't direct a movie. You would hear things (laughs) like, I didn't know that. I didn't hear that. I love it. You, you would hear things like Marlon Brando would show up to set without pants on, like nude from the waist down to force oh Frank Oz to shoot from the waist up because Marlon Brando thought he was fat in 2000. But there's a lot of legends behind this movie that if you actually do some research, it turns out they're not actually true, that type of thing. So, Zach, 
can we get into this? Did you have anything else you wanted to say, I guess, with context, with uh, background? Or can we get into some of the legends that this movie has procured in the I, filmmaking, I, I guess, secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, fifthhand story podcast industry? I deliberately stayed ignorant on, like, legends and lore about this movie other than just, like, Brando was, like, a nightmare. Really? So, yes. Because yeah, ignorance is bliss, and I love hearing stories about just like stuff like oh, like the idea of like Brando walking out like with no pants on. Because like after everything we learned about him from like uh, Richard Stanley's Doctor Moreau, it's like I could believe anything at this point. And the idea of that like him, I just love the idea of Marlon Brando calling an adult man Miss Piggy. I just find that like I, I just want I want I want to be there. Like it's like it's like top five like historical events. I'd love to go back and see. Like I want I want. Zach, to, Zach it, is legitimately saying I don't give a fuck where Amelia Earhart ended up. I want to see Marlon Brando say "You're Miss Piggy." I'm not listening to you to a grown man. Damn straight. <laughs> no, you bring up a really good point with the Richard Stanley uh, Lost Soul documentary. With the sense of Marlon Brando demanding Feruza Balk constantly fill his hat with ice cubes, to this that's day a real thing that I happened. don't I don't know if we hit that enough on our Richard Stanley episode that he made Feruza Balk fill his hat with ice cubes. <laughs> yes, that's a real thing that happened in that movie. <laughs> so, oh God, Marlon Brando. Can I can I just say before I get onto this tirade, he he's on our list for seance modities. Are we agreeing with that? Oh, 100%. 100%. Okay, good. So, legend has it, like I said, he would show up with no pants on to set. Like literally, they would they would call like some some temp agent would go to his trailer and be like, "Hey, Frank Oz isn't on set." Cuz that's another legend. He wouldn't show up to set if Frank Oz was there. He had so little respect for Frank Oz and he would call him Miss Piggy regularly. One of my most fascinating pieces of research, which I'm kind of shocked that we've never brought up before because Zach and I say this to each other almost every time we talk. Marlon Brando from accounts on the set of the score, he would look Frank Oz in the eye and say, I bet you wish I was a puppet so you could stick your hand up my ass and make me do what you want. Oh, my God. <laughs> Zach and I say that to each other every day we talk, even when we're not that. recording. Like, literally, I'm like, Zach, I watched the Point, Bre- Point Break remake, and he went, he goes, God damn it, I wish you were a puppet. <laughs> But when they were on set together, the legend has it that when Frank Oz and Marlon Brando were in a room together, Frank Oz would berate him to death, saying, you're Miss Piggy, you can't make a movie. And there, the legend, I guess, is that this whole movie is Marlon Brando had to talk to Robert De Niro through an earpiece, and Robert De Niro would tell Marlon Brando what to do in a scene. I could only find corroboration about one scene in particular that that happened. And that is the scene when Marlon Brando is sitting around his empty pool. The scene where Robert De Niro tells Marlon Brando he realizes that Marlon Brando has pushed for this heist because of his debt to a mob boss. And from everything I found... The story goes that Frank Oz could not be on set for that scene because Marlon Brando would have refused to do it. And an assistant director had to get instructions from Frank Oz, feed them into Robert De Niro's ear so he could relay them to Marlon Brando. 
and that scene got filmed. Zach, whether or not this is true, I don't want to start with that. I don't want, I don't want to talk about whether we think this is true or not. If this happened, is this not the most pessimistic thing you've heard about the human species? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it is. I think it's just like it's it's 100% on brand. It goes back to that story from uh like in the Island of Dr. Moreau documentary where like he's like we should just sit there like like at the end of the movie I pull my hat off and I'm a dolphin is Dr. Moreau. Uh, you're not you're not wrong, but I guess I guess the question then becomes which I should pull up. Where was Marlon? Cuz of course as we said this is Marlon Brando's last film. This is at least 10 years separated from Island Dr. Moreau, right? Not that he wasn't uh, five, not that he five, always five, he wasn't I'd always say difficult. About 5 years, give or take. Not that he wasn't always difficult though, but I I I don't know. I I'm fascinated by the fact that Frank Oz couldn't control him, I guess, is what I'm could saying. Anybody, could anybody control Brando, to be fair? Exactly. I'm glad you say that because, no, he's Brando. He's got reefs coming God out damn, of his ass. Goddamn right he How does. How can you control somebody literally creating an important physical marine structure out of their butthole? How can It'd be you a control crime. that? It would be a crime, too. <laughs> Whether or not we believe it, I want, I want to err on the side of that we believe it. I want to talk about that scene, because that is Brando's last scene. And when I say last, I mean last. He doesn't have a movie after the score. The score is famous for being his last theatrical film. And yeah, we can talk about, which we will, him smiling, in air quotes, at the TV at the very end of the film. But his last piece of acting is him explaining to Robert De Niro why he wants that job to be done, right? Yes. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of maybe Zach is is not feeling me on the same way. I I'm kind of baffled by the fact that that is something that he had so much antagonistic energy against from everything I've been able to read. Well, yeah, but it was Brando doing what Brando did best. Like as as said in the again, Doctor Moreau documentary, his legendary contempt for the thing that was his livelihood. I know, I know you're you're not wrong, but I think there's a I I think what I'm getting at is that there's a separation between someone who thinks they're an actor and someone I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm confounding the fact of Marlon Brando as an actor and Marlon Brando as aware of his lifespan because. To me, I'm working with hindsight. Maybe this is the best way to put it. I'm thinking of Marlon Brando's last role as an acknowledgement that it is his last role. Did he not know that? Sure, of course. No one knows when they're going to die. I, I, I don't know. I'm kind, I'm kind of torn about this, if, 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 I, if I have to react honestly, that you know, Marlon Brando at that point in 2001, I think what the movie he did before this was 1996. Like, he didn't do a movie... For a few years before the score, he had to have known that there's some finality to it, right? I might be giving him more credit as well, which which is does any okay? Do. do you think? Do you honestly think when Marlon Brando was making this movie, he felt like this is gonna be his final performance? Uh, are you asking me that you think Marlon Brando thought he was immortal? Is that what you're saying? I think um, – don't we all think we're immortal until that moment happens, it, well, especially exactly, Marlon Brando? Zach, thank you. That is the real question. That's what's getting at that we as in – we in podcast land live in this hindsight universe. We think we're immortal, and Marlon Brando probably did as well. And honestly, if I had 
marine life Rob, Rob. spewing exactly. from my exactly. butthole, you I would took, think I was immortal as well. You took the words right out of my mouth. If you two had a marine structure stemming from your rectum, <laughs> what else would you think? Uh, you're right. I'm probably putting too much weight on this being Brando's final film. But you're not wrong. You're not wrong in that sense that do you think he felt that way? Do you think he realized that? And I, I would honestly say no. When you ask that, when you ask the question that way, do you think Brando thought of this as his final role as his swan song? No. I think that is a definitive but maybe, no for me. But maybe he did, and that's why he, if, if the legends are true, he wanted to be so eccentric with it. Okay, no, actually, I was about to dismiss what you just said, but you're not wrong. Do you think that that's the case, that he wanted to be so eccentric and over the top, and it was a point of contention, as we've read and as I'll discuss more, between him and Frank Oz, that he wanted to go all out for his final role, and Frank Oz, Frank Oz wanted something more restrained? I, that's a secret that Brando took to his grave. God damn it. Seance commodities. It's, oh it's wildly interesting, though, isn't it? It's it's definitely provocative, but it's it's in line with what Brando Stick was for the latter for the majority of his career. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Marlon Brando's, you know, years before when we talked about Island Doctor Moreau, years before that, he was a goddamn difficult motherfucker to put it lightly. I think. But it's, poor, it's, what's his name? Uh, Coppola. It's interesting. It's really interesting. I think that that we have Brando in this final role. From what we've read, being I, I don't I don't want to say dissociative. I want to say adversarial to Frank Oz. He was consistently adversarial with everybody. Well, sure. I mean, but to the extent of you know, you hear the stories. Like I said, he's calling Frank Oz Miss Piggy. He's saying, "I bet you wish I was a puppet so you could stick my hand up. You could stick your <laughs> hand up my ass and make me do what Rob, you want." Rob, come on, come on. Like if you are getting into an argument with a puppeteer. How do you not use that as, like, like a thing? Like, that's just, like, crime. You you bring up a really good point. Because when I think of Frank Oz, and and I'm talking me, personally, as someone who is not in the movie industry except this weird, not tertiary, but tertiary times six podcast critique is what it is, you know? And I said to Zach, if I was anything— Is that what we're calling cinematis now, tertiary critique? Tertiary critique times six. I really like that. Okay, good. We'll put that, <laughs> we'll put that in the new iTunes description. But I, I think that when I think of Frank Oz, I, I do think of Sesame Street—not uh, Sesame, sorry, Muppets. I think of Yoda— and honestly, I think of his performance in Knives Out, which is one of my favorite performance in Knives Out. If Zach remembers, he's the lawyer that goes, why are you still yelling at me? It's not going to change the fact that he left it to the puking girl. <laughs> like, he, he's, that, he's, the, he's the lawyer that reads the will in Knives Out. That's what I think of Frank Oz. I kind of don't blame Marlon Brando for having... A little less than real respect for Frank Oz. As much as I love, as well, I love Bowfinger. Bowfinger's a great fucking movie. But it's a great movie in the sense that it reflects on Hollywood sensibilities. You have to realize that before this movie, the score, Frank Oz directs Bowfinger, which I think is the precursor to the inside baseball film of Tropic Thunder where he has Heather Graham saying, I'm going to sleep with anybody I fucking need to to make sure I get the part. And I don't see Frank Oz as a, oh, gritty heist director, if that makes sense. Is this movie trying to be gritty, though? That's the next thing I wanted to bring up, is that 
I don't think so. I think this movie is playing it by the book. Well, it is. That's what I mean, though. So I don't think it's trying to be gritty. I think it's just trying to be like like crime thriller, date night crime thriller. And I, I think this script, maybe to say it better, this script is trying to play it by the book. But from what I found in my research, Frank Oz saw this as his breakout from comedy. Mm-hmm. That's where the discrepancy lies. That's where the problem lies. That Frank Oz, if he wanted to rebrand himself as a a serious filmmaker, this is not the script to do it with. Honestly, the script to do it with around this time is more of a Guy Ritchie heist film. This is bland by the numbers heist. He should have done something like, oh, we have Brad Pitt unintelligible as a gypsy boxer like Guy Ritchie did in the early 2000s, late 1990s, early 2000s, that got him famous. I think this movie, and this is one of my big kind of talking points for this episode, this movie is Frank Oz's fault. Well, sure. Technically, the, both the acclaim and the blame lies on his shoulders. Yes. I don't disagree with that. He he made the worst movie in existence. Well, maybe. No, in the no, in no. the la- In the no. bottom ten movies of existence, no. The Dark Crystal. No. Well, yes. Yes, he also made agree. my favorite musical of all time, Little Shop of Horrors. And yes, you don't get so me wrong. Rob. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Mencken did a lot of the work in that movie with the music musical score of that. And I love Little Shop of Horrors, if not one of my favorite movies ever, is is my favorite musical ever. And that's a Frank Oz film. I love Bowfinger. I've not seen you know, things like In-N-Out or What About Bob. I've seen Indian in the Cupboard, another Frank Oz film. He works on this level of tongue-in-cheek, I would say. This movie is the farthest thing from tongue-in-cheek. That's why I'm so upset about it. The furthest thing, Rob. Because this movie takes itself so seriously, almost to the extent that I'm angry when it's biding its time before the double cross happens. I cannot express to you, Zach, how angry I was when Edward Norton leaves, literally, leaves Robert De Niro hanging above the safe. I'm like, why are we wasting our time on this? And I I, I guess what I'm saying is that this movie is the fault of the director. I think Frank Oz did a bad job. Not in cinematography or camera placement, in just the entirety of this movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get it. How um, do you take De Niro, Brando, Powerhouses by 2001, 2000 when this movie is being filmed? How do you take Powerhouses of the crime genre and make something where they're the least interesting characters in it, right? You're trying to play it safe. That And that's what I have the biggest problem with. Playing it safe is one of my biggest issues in not only filmmaking, but storytelling history. Playing it safe is bad. I want, as this podcast knows, I want someone to go balls to the walls and make an incomprehensible two-and-a-half-hour film like Southland Tales. Don't play it safe. And this movie, you're right, is the epitome of playing it safe. Yeah, and that and that's... Uh, but again, that's, again, it's, again, it goes back to think of it being boilerplate. It's too boilerplate. Exactly. I, I boilerplate's a good word. I didn't. Use Rob, that should in we my at notes. least try to describe the plot of this movie? Like, heist. We at least a- heist. <laughs> we did it. Done. 
can we please talk about okay no 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 no, no, no. No, can we please talk about a plot point we gotta start talking i got new shoes thank you you look good (laughs) in those shoes thank you goodbye hi brian Okay, thank you. No problem. Hi, Danny. Hello, Brian. Oh, look at you. It's fancy new shoes. Yeah. Yeah, my mom got those for me. Oh, your mom gave you those? I think think you got a girl. No, no girl. Danny, you're a stinker. (laughs) Well, you and your new shoes can give me a hand up. At six tonight, we're going to wax the whole cafeteria floor. Okay. Okay. You hit the garbage. I get the stuff. I meet you there. What, 15 minutes? 15, okay. Okay, I'll get the garbage, Danny. Okay? okay. Bye bye, Andre. Bye bye. Look good with those shoes. Yes, heck, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have to talk about. How like there's certain like I said instead like it's funny usually I'm the one who falls into the philosophical traps of movies it's kind of odd and off brand for Rob to kind of delve into it but like can we talk about a couple moments in this movie that like how like how Edward Norton physically sees the scepter for the first time in the movie oh you t- so when they throw the piano legs in the incinerator you, you got you gotta explain it further as to how. Like, like, apparently he's aware that there's a scepter. In, okay, apparently there's a piano. Yes. Where there is a golden jewel-encrusted scepter hidden in a piano leg <laughs> that's used – that's being, like, transported. Okay. No. And then it gets quarantined because apparently, like, the shipping crates had termites. I'm going to so say I- the quote, and then I'm going to play <laughs> the – clip because i cannot do it justice i'm not a good brando impersonator but we literally have marlon brando laying back in a chalange couch type of thing going asian longhorn beetles we got fucked by bugs (laughs) (laughs) yes i get this it was arranged to be brought into the country inside the lake of an antique piano i think it was so simple and then they pounded it I mean, can you guess why? Fucking bugs. I mean, the whole shipment was contaminated with termites. Asian longhorn beetles. <laughs> we got fucked by bugs. Yeah. We got fucked by bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Rob likes that. Rob just keep repeating that. No, but you're not. That That is the impetus of this story is that, you know, they... The only reason they know where the scepter is is because the piano housing it got infested by Asian longhorn beetles. Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> well, yeah, but, like, how even that is explained is, like, elaborate, but, like, in the dumbest way possible. And then, like, how like, – like, that's the thing. Edward Norton's character knows that the scepter's in this, like, piano leg, but he's not – like, he's been told it's there, but he doesn't know it's physically there. Like, he hasn't, like, laid eyes on it. Yeah, he and has then, like, this kind of almost precog – knowledge of what comes into the montreal customs house yes but this is the fun part of it though is that like he knows it's there but like he hasn't physically laid eyes on it and then like he sees them incinerating all of it and he's like i was thinking about just stealing the piano legs right there and running out of the building but then i took a shot and is there incinerating he's like the fire the fire and, like, they go and take it out, and it's like, good thing I did that. I'm like, what is going on? Now, I'll tell you 
I don't know which one of the fucking legs this thing is in, but half of me was tempted to just grab them all and make a break for it right there. I mean, I don't know if this thing's gonna melt or what. I mean, I was dying. So, I had to improvise a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I, you're all right. You're all right. I, I don't want to make fire. It's burning. No, no. Look, 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 look. I, I don't want to make in the piano. In the piano, I, I don't look. I don't want to make Yeah? 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 Okay, so everybody's freaking out. I mean, nobody knows what this is or what to do with it. They don't see this kind of excitement down there. It oh really is. God. That scene is kind of insane because we get the voiceover. We see, like, um, well, from him talking, total, you know, normal Edward Norton voice or, or common realistic Edward Norton voice, whatever you want to call it. Cut to Edward Norton saying to the people throwing things in the incinerator, and I'm like, what the fuck am I seeing right now? (laughs) Yes. And before anyone gets offended at us, we did not make this creative decision. We are just reiterating what the movie is giving us. No, like like I said, I I am legitimately, I was shocked in real time that the movie decides to have Edward Norton play a mentally handicapped person for as much as it does. <laughs> well, have you? Did you do any research? Was that in the script or was that his choice? I did not look into that. Has I, he ever apologized for this? Because this no. feels like something he should be apologizing no, for. No, no, he's never apologized for it. Uh, he's 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 one of the people that if you read about in response to this movie, that he's one of the ones saying that you know there wasn't as much tension on the set as Legends will have it. He has nothing to say about his performance, though. It's kind of weird also because two years after this, he's in the Italian job, the Italian job, the American remake, where he goes on record saying this is one of the worst films ever. <laughs> and he doesn't well, say that about this. More, he also became more and more difficult as time went on, though. To put, like, he's almost like persona non grata. Well, yeah, Edward Norton. Now. I mean, Edward Norton is a, a, a goofy goober, to say the least, from our he's perspective. James, he's, he's James Cameron in alternate reality. I mean, I, I don't think he's James Cameron. He might be. Rob, 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 Rob. He is James Cameron in alternate reality. Do you think he's the uh, HMIFC? Is that what you're saying? He's HMFIC. HMFIC. Yes, that's right. I I fucked it up. You're right. Okay, HMFIC. <laughs> Remember, no, I he mean, plays James Cameron in Elite Battle Angel. I I oh god. Oh my. Remember god. that? How Remember did I that, Rob? Forget about that. I was honestly hoping that we would get into Edward Norton's filmography at a certain point in this episode because we've seen him or I've seen him in this for a year because of goddamn fucking Brett Ratner's Red Dragon. Uh, I totally forgot that he plays James Cameron. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to make anybody believe otherwise. I really like Ed Norton. Edward Norton is the reason I put Fight Club so high in my I hate Fight Club. Fincher... Fight Club is horrible. No, no, no. Fight Club's no. a bad movie. We we agree that we hate like I said in our 32-minute Fincher episode the one thing that you seem to have an opinion about is Fight Club, other than yes. how much you are angry at me about how good Zodiac is, and everybody fucking check it out, Zodiac's a masterpiece. But Edward Norton's Fight Club is the reason that movie's a satire. 
Like, I really lean into that. Is that, is, is that what it is? Yes! Edward Norton is the thing that makes that a satire. Him fighting, in air quotes, himself in Lens of Brad Pitt, I guess you would say it. That's why that movie works. But after the score, his immediate follow-up is Death to Smoochie, a movie that we've discussed on this podcast Zach was not involved with, and he's really good in that movie. And as he goes on, I think he's really good in the Italian job. I hate the 2003 Italian job. Hate with a passion, because the original Italian job is so fantastic. But I think he's a great performance. And yes, there's some kind of conflict because if you know anything about the marketing for the Italian job, literally Edward Norton went on to late night talk shows and they'd be like, hey, you're in the Italian job. How's that movie? And he goes, "Uh, it's kind of shit. Like, you shouldn't see it. It turns out to be one of the highest grossing movies overseas ever in that early 2000s era. But, you know, honestly, Zach, I'm going to say something that I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say two things that you might hate me for. He is good in both The Incredible Hulk and Birdman. He's the best thing about those okay, movies. For, for, first, your mistake is Birdman is trash. And deserves to be, like, Birdman's one of the most pretentious films ever made. I and figured. His entire gimmick is a farce. I figured we would take this tangent. I love Birdman. Of course, you do. it's about film just jerking off artists. So, like, it doesn't surprise it's a, me. No, it's not about that. It's about the desire to leave a legacy for yourself in oh, please. the era, in the shadow of a creative process. It's a fantastic film. I saw Birdman three times in theaters. Edward Norton you. is the best. I, hate you. I know. I, I, hate I, you. I, I prefaced this with saying you weren't going to like this. Birdman is wonderful. It's not. It's not a good movie. It's overrated and it's pedestrian. And everything that's special about no, that movie, no, I could do. No, Birdman is the farthest thing from pedestrian. Birdman is one of the last films we have about honestly discussing what it means to create. Birdman. I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that's exactly what Avengers Endgame is about. But go don't ahead. Don't you give me that shit, Zach. I would rather watch Avengers. I would rather watch. I would rather watch Avengers: Infinity War than Birdman any day. If I had choose, if I if I do do a Thanos snap on one movie, I would choose Birdman before Infinity War. That is bullshit. Uh, we will I discuss Birdman. Bird, Birdman is um an immaculate movie. No, it's, I have problems with. I have problems with Birdman. Is a is a pedestrian filmmaker. The scene with Edward Norton and Emma Stone on the rooftop of Birdman might be the most realistic the- thing I've ever seen in film. That's Bird- fine. It doesn't make it good. It makes it good. No, it does not. That is a lie. <laughs> when I say that, I realize I sound like Justin from Southland Tales. <laughs> I know. But other than that, I really, really like Edward Norton as Bruce Banner in the 2008 Hulk. Me That's too. That's not I, a good I movie. I wish he wasn't difficult and he would have just kept his mouth shut and he'd well, be sitting there. No, okay. So, because I think we both know he got some, like, uncredited screenwriting credits as sure. he did a lot of work on that script and Marvel was like, listen – we would rather have you assassinated than let an actor be listed as a screenwriter. And that's its own problem. But The Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton is not bad. 
<laughs> no, it's fine. It has uh, Tim Roth being like, what, kicked in the face by the Hulk? I think Edward Norton does a fantastic job because also I'm kind of blindsided by the fact that the Marvel Cinematic Universe 2008 Incredible Hulk is kind of a sequel to Ang Lee's Hulk. Because in a weird way, yes. And no. Yes, because the the Ang Lee Hulk ends with Eric Bana in South America, and then Edward Norton starts up in Brazil, and you're kind of like they don't really match up, but they could match up if you ignore enough things. <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. And I have to say, Edward Norton as the the coke addicted cop in the Invention of Lying, the Ricky Gervais movie, it's the best part about that movie. Like Can literally, we talk about the score, the movie or the soundtrack. <laughs> I want to talk about Aaron Norton. goddammit. it, Zach. There's nothing Rob, to talk we about. Talk about this goddamn. Movie. It's a heist. It's a heist. We're done. It's a heist. Can we talk about one thing, Robert no. De Niro? No. Do you know when his birthday is? Is it really August seventeenth? God He's damn it. Two days after Ben Affleck's birthday. No, Zach, I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting off topic. I love to talk about all this stuff. What do you want to talk about with the score? Is it how I bad want it to, is? I want to talk about the fact that there's just so many goofy things in this movie that just like it doesn't go like the definition of a movie that just stalls. We've said like, that already. I know, but like I want to talk about the awkward like exchanging of codes and the weird like code like code hacker friend that like okay. Robert De Niro has that has a mom and he's like, "Mom, shut the fuck up! I'm jerking off to internet porn." That's the worst like, scene in the movie, and every scene of in discussion. the movie is the worst part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take that clip and just make it the new intro for every episode. Every scene in the movie is the worst part of the movie. <laughs> like, cinemodities. Every scene in the movie is the worst part of the movie. This, okay, even though Rob wants to argue with me, the scene of, like, the code exchange in the park, and you have, like, the fat Asian, like, bouncer guy. Oh, yeah. And, like, you have the cousin that, like, puts a gun in, like, like Edward Norton's stomach. For no Edward reason. Norton, like, yes. li- lifts up his shirt, and he's like, I have a gun, too. And, and like, Robert Hunter's like, no guns. I mean, it's like that never comes like like it's setting something up that has no payoff. And then we have the whole thing, even with like Danny, the elderly janitor, who I was pretty sure died. He doesn't like there's nothing to this. Like he locks him like in a closet. And by locking him in a closet, he puts like a spool of wire in front of it that an old man can very easily just push. Which we see. (laughs) You're not wrong. We see. We see an old man push the door to freedom. (laughs) I know. Like, like, there's, like, this also feels like a movie that was butchered in editing. Zach, honestly, I don't know how I didn't finish watching this movie, and I said, hey, how about you watch the second half of, of Suck, and we talk about the rest of that. <laughs> Rob's like, we should just do another episode on Pootie Tang. No, you're, you're not wrong, but this movie is... I, I, I think the best way I want to say it is that this movie is not moments. It doesn't have really good moments, it has really good sub moments. Like, yes. Like my notes, my first note about this movie is how in the opening scene of Robert De Niro trying to crack a safe, you have a couple from the party come in trying to bang, and the guy's like, yo, I want to raw dog you, bitch. And she goes, no, I want to smoke a joint. And he's angry that she wants to smoke a joint. And literally my first note on this movie is, Air quotes, I want to smoke, hyphen, out of air quotes, she doesn't want to fuck sober, duh. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> like that's what we're working with. <laughs> but that's the thing though. Like I think one thing I will give the movie credit for. One sequence that I did think was neat. Maybe this is some like corn in the crap. Okay. I do like toward the end when De Niro's like doing the thing where he's like like do like cutting like he's drilling the hole into the safe from the top. He cuts like what the uh, the water line pours like, like hooks up a hose, pours it into the safe, and he has the detonation device inside. Yeah, he has the I stop. He has neat. the stopgap handle for the water yeah, line. Absolutely, I thought that was neat. I found that amusing. Maybe oh, not oh good, no, but no, 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 no! You're not wrong. The 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 movie only works after the eighty minute mark. You are not wrong. When the heist except actually for the, happens, except for the Edward Norton parts. Edward Norton parts are fun. Yeah. When he's playing Simple Jack. <laughs> yes. I can't argue. That's that's a, literally a scene that happens in that movie. Like, Rob, can you please Rob, can you please juxtapose that moment with the scene in the movie with you doing that and tell the audience <laughs> to separate which one is you, which one is I, Academy Award winner have Edward some, Norton? I, Edward I Norton. feel like I'm holding back because I fall into X-Ray Cat from Freddy Got Fingered. Hi. 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 I'm X-Ray Cat. I've got superpowers. I can see through wooden doors with my X-Ray vision. Wooden doors. I can see the criminal on the other side. He can't see me and he's committing crime. I come along and say, I can see you. So he can't see me. I say, yes, I can. With my X-Ray. X-ray cat. You can't get me. You can't get me. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I like how Rob's like, I'm afraid of going too far into this. I'm afraid of being canceled. <laughs> Yet we have an Academy Award winning actor doing this. is like no reservations whatsoever. Uh, I, like how, I like how Rob's impersonation is more reserved than the actor's performance. Uh, Insane, folks. Insane. Okay. Can we I, – I, this is something I, I wanted to pick your brain about, Zach. Uh, De Niro. Robert De Niro. Ostensibly the lead of this movie, right? We yeah, 100%. That. He – in 1999 – Robert De Niro plays a stroke victim in a Joel Schumacher film called Flawless. And it is one of the funniest films to watch for reasons I will not get into because I could talk for hours about it. But Robert De Niro, I feel, and I think this also relates to how we discussed him in our Midnight Run episode way back when. Uh, so, so in Midnight Run, he is, I want a restaurant, I want a restaurant, and we make fun of that. In Flawless, he's a stroke victim. I, I recommend everybody watch every Joel Schumacher film, because very soon, there's going to be a Rob Solo episode describing how Joel Schumacher is a director that never got his due. But Lord help us all. In the Joel Schumacher Flawless, he plays a, a stroke victim, and he's literally talking like, <laughs> the whole movie, and it's hilarious, because he's so bad at it. I think that in this time frame, Robert De Niro picks a lane and runs with it, and in this sense, he is picking the cop lane. Because the immediate movie after this one that we're discussing, where he's a heist man, he is someone who knows everything about the crime world, the immediate movie following this is Showtime, which I believe is him and Eddie Murphy doing a heist. Whether it be under the guise of a TV show or whatnot, I think he falls into a bad category. And so I think the thing is, I want to ask Zach, is what I'm saying is, uh, this might be a hot take, I don't think De Niro's a good actor. 
Well, this is why <clears throat> this goes back to my cinema professors who obviously like knew people from what they told me. So they knew people who knew De Niro personally. They said that like, he's a talented actor, but as an individual, and this is why I've heard, I have no idea if it's true. This is like God, like third hand at best. He is not a intelligent individual. Okay. Okay. That's all I know. They said that he's a talented actor. Again, you have to look at his stuff. Like he is, even though he's done a lot of crap in the last like 20, 25 years. Yeah. Um, and he's become more or less a paycheck actor now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like from what they told me is that he's a talented actor. Like if he's given the right like co- like like direction, like clearly you can get an amazing performance out of him. But like as an individual, he is not the most. He's like okay. he's not the sharpest bulb in the pack. I I that I think you just said exactly what I'm getting at is that you know when you think back to classic De Niro. The first thing that comes to mind is Taxi Driver. I don't think he's good as Travis Bickle. I think the oh, character you're is insane. good. You're insane. Uh, well, okay, but he makes the character though. No, I that I think that's the discrepancy. The whole third act of Taxi Driver, and possibly the fourth act, if you remember Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. it's not De Niro. It's the script. And I think that it- yeah, but like okay, but he that is such an iconic character. Can you imagine? Like okay, no. <clears throat> before you continue, and this is a really weird dis- like score discussion where it's become more about the actors than the film. Um, well, because yeah, this, this any- film's garbage. <laughs> I, I know we've established that, um, but like, can you imagine any other actor in that role from that time? No, no. But this is exactly you're getting at exactly what I think. Why? The King of Comedy works. Robert De Niro playing that main character in The King of Comedy is so good. And this is why I have such a discrepancy with Robert De Niro because I feel like he is literally the the definition of a hit or miss actor. Yes. Like, I've seen him in I things love- where I hate him. I lo- I might love the script, but I hate him. I might love him, but I hate the script, you know? Yeah, but like I also think that he's somebody that just like he's given up. Like he's clearly like enjoying his retirement. Like well, look, 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 now, look, now look, 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 we that's yeah. a different story. Now it's a different story. But I'm talking so you like think that back 70s in to yeah. I, that that's exactly what I'm saying. His heyday, I have problems with him. Really? I I honestly, I'm gonna take the hot take. I don't think he's good in Goodfellas, and I know people love him in Goodfellas. Well, I think it's a matter of preference, though. Like, I think he's doing. Like, I think it's not fair to look at him as just like, like, like distilling his performance. You have to look at it in the context of what he's being directed to do. Well, sure, but isn't that when you say that, Zach? Doesn't that make us relate everything back to the director? Yes. Are, aren't we just having a Scorsese discussion at that point? Yes, because that's the thing. Because I think ultimately, especially when it comes to such a lot of poor director like Scorsese, I think it falls on his shoulders. Because that's where I disagree. Because I, I really don't. Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver is a great character, but I don't think De Niro brings. Like I've mentioned before, I've I've said many times, and I'll relate to it again and again. It's one of my favorite scenes in movie history when Travis Bickle brings his date to the porn theater and says, everybody watches porn, don't they? I think that scene could have been better if it wasn't De Niro. But at the same okay, time, okay, 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 okay. at the you, okay, same perfect. time when you so have... Ah! Ah! Okay, I Julie Kavner, homie, homie! <laughs> 
Okay, perfect, perfect point to compare two things. You've seen The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman, right? Yes. All right. What about that point where he brings whatever her name is, uh, Eileen, Eileen Robinson, to the strip club? I don't. What do you think is better? The, the Graduate, because he's learned. But I don't think it's him learning. I think it's the director learning. Okay. I think. So you the- I think the Those direct comparison scenes juxtaposed. No, no I, I think you're I think you are fundamentally making the wrong comparison. I think the comparison is Taxi Driver versus Raging Bull. And as different genres those movie are those movies are, I think that De Niro in those roles are the direct comparison of what he can do. And because those are both Scorsese. Fine. Like I know what you're getting at, but I don't exactly agree. Uh, to be fair, this is the thing. I, I'm I'm in a love-hate relationship with De Niro because I do not like him as Travis Bickle in the in, in Taxi Driver. I love him in The King of Comedy as Rupert Pumpkin. I think, though, that both of those roles are played off of what we don't see. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, in, in Taxi Driver, people latch on to what we see. But the legitimate entire point of the King of Comedy is that we don't see him do comedy until the very end of the movie after he's kidnapped Jerry Lewis. I think there's a really clear distinction there. But there's a really tough comparison between De Niro in Scorsese movies versus De Niro in something like, you know, The Untouchables with De Palma where he's playing Al Capone and Brazil. You know, there's De Niro is a widespread actor, and I think you can't just take De Niro's best roles and then be like, "Oh, I don't like Brazil." De Niro, I'm not saying De Niro is why I don't like Brazil. Brazil has its own slew of problems because Terry Gilliam's a coke fiend, but De Niro he doesn't work. He's he's one of the people that I see as as age old actors that I see as him. You know, you know, like to this day, I see Keanu Reeves as Keanu. I see I De Niro am an as FBI De Niro. Agent. Okay, don't start with me, Zach. <laughs> Catherine Bigelow's Point Break is so fucking good. <laughs> but you know I what I'm saying, FBI right? You know what I'm saying. Agent. That there, that there's, there's so many layers to go into this. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? I do not, Rob. But sure. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I like frustrating Rob. And, Rob, I get what okay, you're saying. Okay, okay, okay. I, I Slate Lord cut right there. That's the end it. of Cinemodities. I say, you know what I'm saying? That goes, no. <laughs> end of the podcast. I, I acknowledge <laughs> Rob's point, but I don't agree with it. But that's the other thing. We have to talk about De Niro before, like, what? 95? We can't talk before about De Niro. Heat, before After Heat. After Heat. We can't talk about De Niro after Heat. Because after he he's the same fucking character, yeah. right? He found he found his creative niche. Exactly. And I can't put the word I can't put the word creative like, in quotation marks enough. But you know, you know. Speaking of heist movies, Ronin, a John Frankenheimer movie. I hate Ronin. Ronin is so fucking boring. But at the same time, two years after Heat, he does Jackie Brown. Which to this day I think is the best Tarantino film. It's the only fi- film that where Tarantino is arguably one. Like, okay, that's up there with like true, true detective level. Like exactly. But that, I find that egregious. It, it's an egregious. Where, that's where we. That's the re. Like my opinion 
our opinions on Jackie Brown might be the reason this podcast exists. Because we are able to have such a discrepancy. But after that, De Niro's just like, yeah, maybe I'll fuck a young girl in an Aubrey Plaza comedy. And what's the point of that? I saw saw that. Maybe I'm going to say, hey, Greg, I got nipples. Can you milk me? And meet the parents. Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? Remember... Who gives a fuck? Can I? That's gonna be my clip. We get we get a minute <gasps> for advertising on a certain on certain websites we've used. Maybe that'll be the minute. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> okay. To be fair, when Meet the Parents came out, that was a novelty because he was playing against type. No, <laughs> nobody cared about De Niro in that role. Nobody. They De Niro did. No, was, was a secondary or tertiary no. fact about that movie. The no, fucking Rob. Meet the Parents relied on two things. A cat that could use the toilet and a main character named Gaylord. That's it. That is a successful franchise, Rob. Can't knock it. I'm not, de- I'm not denying that that's a successful franchise, no, but I'm, I'm telling you, De right. Niro had nothing right. to do to with that. We have to acknowledge the, what, the ob- objectivity of what, like, the, what was happening at that time. That was that was De Niro playing against type for the most part when it came to mass audiences. Okay, I disagree with you completely because we've seen Midnight Run. How is his character in Midnight Run, his quippy, getting the job done at a base level, different from the CIA, the ex-CIA father of Meet the Parents? They're the same character. They are the I, oh, no, no, you can't date my daughter. Literally, if there was a young female character in Midnight Run, De Niro would have been the exact same character as he is in Meet the Parents. Yeah. Don't air me. I'm a. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm saying Jackie Brown is the only real different performance he, he gave after Heat. Because, as Jack doesn't like... He shoots a woman point blank in the parking lot because he can't find his car. Don't give that a- Oh my god. I'm giving it away! I'm giving what it away, Zach! Why do you give away good moments? Because that's, that's the point I'm making! You're a, you're a that's monster. That's the point I'm making! De Niro. You're, you're lucky I'm recording this entire podcast with no pants on. Jesus. And you have to film it from the waist up. Oh my god. I don't have pants on right now, but that's beside the point. <laughs> God damn it, Rob. All right, Rob. With all this being said, Cinemati and or late oh, night. Oh, no, movie. no, no. We're not there yet. We're not there yes, yet. Yes, we are. Yes, no, we are. No, we're not there yet. I There's am. nothing else. That, unless you want to talk about Angela Bassett's not performance in this movie, you, <laughs> there is nothing else for us to discuss. I'm glad you said that because I legitimately do want to talk about Angela Bassett. <laughs> God damn it, Rob. Unless she has no point other than like, I can't wait to give up my life. But you have to promise me. Like, okay, she okay, okay, annoying. Julie Kavner. Did you know that Angela Bassett won an NAACP award for her role in this movie? Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. It's only yeah, Mr. Award this Racist. Movie probably ever won. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before we get to our questions, we have to talk about the fact of the actual heist. The most interesting part of this movie is from the 79-minute mark when the heist starts and Den- and Edward Norton comes and goes, hey, got shoes. Okay, I watched the Mythbusters episode about this movie. Did you really? know, Zach? 
Uh, yeah, I watched it. Yeah, it's it's fucking like twenty minutes long. The half of the episode they spent on it. Did you know though that they they MythBusters did an episode about could De Niro blast a safe open in the way he did in this movie? I did not, Rob. I watched it and they deemed it plausible. I did not know that. I am ignorant, Rob. Zach is like, I swear to God, <laughs> I hate this podcast. <laughs> so they deemed it plausible. Uh, my big question, which I wanted to pick your brain about, is when we see Robert De Niro uh, cut that little hole in the opening of the top of the safe to put the electric charge in to blow the water open, that's a real thing. The thing that De Niro uses to cut metal grates and the safe open, it's called a thermic lance. Mm. You have to understand, Zach, that I started to look into how much does a thermic lance cost versus how much money do we have on Patreon? Rob, thermic- are, we on government- are we on another government list now because of that search? Probably. Uh, thermic lances cost in the range of 500 to $800. So, everybody, patreon.cinemodies.com. We want to buy a thermic lance to heist things. But th- th- this is really actually what I wanted to say to you, other than my goofy nonsense research. You, you, did you have the thought that while De Niro is scorching a small hole into the top of the safe that he wants to break into, why didn't he just make a, a hole bigger? You know? I do not know, Rob. I don't know either. No one seems to know. <laughs> God, Zach, you hit, you hit the point where you're uninterested in my nonsense earlier than usual. This is also to say that I have very little notes on this movie. <laughs> God damn it, Rob. God damn it. Okay, well, Zach, then, is there anything you'd like to say about the score, 2001? Anything more? No. Okay, it's a, it is the most bland movie, right? Yeah, it's, it's the definition of just, like, has no flavor. A few nights ago, as of this recording, uh, I uh, hung out with the person that I've been watching all the Schumacher films with, and they put a little too much pepper on the broccoli that we cooked. So it was like a little spicy broccoli. You know what I mean? Spicy broccoli. Spicy broccoli. That was more memorable than this movie. <laughs> Is that the case, Rob? <laughs> so, Zach, I guess with all that being said, what do you think for Cinemodities and Late Night for the score? Uh, it's going to be a pass, Rob, for both. Okay, okay. I think I'm in the same boat. This is one of those instances where I am putting Cinemodities and Late Night in the same category, which I don't do often, but whenever it happens, it's well-earned. My answer to both is no, this is incredibly basic. I do have to say, though, is that uh, a small little asterisk is that the Edward Norton performance as Simple Jack and just Marlon Brando, like, contacts behind oh, the yeah. scenes, like, nonsense, that's a fun read. Like, it's you the... still shouldn't watch this, but, like, if you can watch, like, a sizzle reel of just Edward Norton doing, like, Simple Jack, that could be entertaining. It's the best thing. Edward Norton somehow turns out to be the best thing. No, I think, well, I think honor goes to Marlon Brando, because it's just fun to imagine all, like, every single scene no! he's in. Can you imagine? No, let me finish! No! Can you, can you imagine? No, Zach, stop talking. Marlon- I can edit can, this. Can you imagine? This is the fun part. Every time I watched the Marlon Brando scene, all I did was fantasize about all the nonsense. How many man hours went into getting that one particular sh- like scene shot? 
That's fair. From a filmmaking perspective, this might be worth watching. Not watching, but it was fun to imagine this all the nonsense that must have transpired from get like this one research scene at him. Sure. But yeah, Got it's a no that, for both. That yeah, I'm with you. This is the most basic thing. This is a no for both. Uh there's really, really better heist movies that don't even fall into the heist genre, I would say. Uh I guess with that being said, that brings us to the snacks for the restaurant, which I don't I also don't have very much for. There's one that I really, really latched on to. I, I think that we should serve possibly called The Score. Like, that would be the menu name for it. Um, it's, it's one piece of pasta, one green bean, and 11 whole apples. Because near the beginning of this movie, when Angela Bassett, who is... Yes, we said she got an award for this movie. She's almost a non-entity in this film. Indeed she is. She eats one piece of pasta and one green bean while sitting in front of six apples on De Niro's kitchen counter and then moves to the dinner table where there is a bowl of five apples. So I figured we should have a dish which is one piece of pasta, one green bean, and 11 apples. And sure, don't get me wrong, don't fucking hit me up, you goddamn social justice warriors, that maybe that wasn't an apple, that was a peach. Because I'm going to hit up with 11 apples is the way to go. God damn it, Rob. One piece of pasta, one green bean, 11 apples. That's You're my first bean. thing for the restaurant. <laughs> You're a goddamn green bean, Rob. You're a goddamn green bean. Uh, Zach, I would have more respect for you if you called me a Harry Colvert instead of a green bean. There you go. All right, when it comes to my snacks for the restaurant, I think that we should have the bouncer from this movie, the Asian man that, like, Edward Norton beats up. I think we should have him somewhere. Like, he seems, like, pretty, like, a low threat. Like, But at the same time, no, he seems, like, kind of amusing. Okay, do you want him as, like... As what you said, a bouncer for the restaurant, like a security force? Uh, something like that. So, so I guess I have to ask you, did you see this dude in this movie and think, oh, that's Discount Benedict Wong? I did not think that at oh, all. Oh, he's Discount Benedict Wong, so hardcore. <laughs> I did not get that vibe, but... uh. He's he's kind of just goofy, and I was amused by his kind of this like shenanigans. Sure, sure. Okay. His, his buffoonery. That is something that we're gonna have to revisit, whether it be soon or on our four year anniversary. I know that uh, I've thought about the fact that we should actually start to rank all of the, in air quotes, defenses we have of the restaurant, and put them in tiers of what they should respond to. So I like adding that to that sure, category. Sure. Um, um I think like the javelin. Or whatever it's called, Scepter, close enough. All I kept thinking of as I was watching this, the stupid Scepter, it was like the one from The Mummy Returns with Jonathan. And like, it's at some a point, javelin! Like, Doesn't look like it, bro! <laughs> I was just hoping at some point someone would like jostle it and like a spear would come out of it. Okay, okay. I can, I could dig that. See, now, I think what we should do. Whoa, 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 let me finish though. I want to do that. I want like a, like, like a stake to come out of it to make it into a javelin. We use it as like a rotisserie spear or something. Ah, like a cooking maybe, utensil. Maybe we maybe we cook Marlon Brando on it. Like we skewer him and we like we do like like, like a pig in a luau, and we sit through just like <laughs> right, like by the rotisserie of Marlon. Brando. <laughs> I I love the fact that we have like deadite Orson Welles in the restaurant, and Zach's like just taking a whole nother step. Be like maybe we cook Brando. <laughs> 
If somebody offered to you like to eat Marlon Brando, how could you not? No, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Uh, I think that kind of lines up maybe 1% tangentially to my other snack. What do you think, Zach, about the fact that maybe we hold an open mm, – cast and call might not be the right word, but like an open floor to say, hey, if anybody wants to try and heist the Cinemodity safe, go for it. If you get away with it, you get away with it. But if you fail, we get carte blanche on your body. Fair. I was thinking that we would introduce this kind of concept of, you know, hey, you know, maybe somebody wants to try and heist us, whether or not they know how many safes we got or not. If they get away with it, they get away with it because we respect that. I think you and I can agree with that. If, if you and I, you know, witness somebody getting away with a heist, we say, hey, game recognized game. But if they get caught, oh, boy. <laughs> fair, fair. One thing I just do want to – I just kind of want to bring up real quick before I forget it is how this movie begins where we see the like – like the movie picks up kind of like in progress of another – like you mentioned earlier, another De Niro heist of the couple trying to bang. Oh, she don't like, want to smoke you know, when she's sober. Absolutely. I, exactly but then we see him like afterwards and we see like all these elaborate steps he takes like we see him like driving like away to like the airport he gets out of one car gets into another then he like takes a yep. plane and then gets into one car and parks it somewhere else and gets into like another car we see the van then... he's driving get like the paint decal removed yes. of the balloon company absolutely but like it's like six or seven steps to the point where like it actually then transcends from like being like intricate just being like parody then we see him like take a i take like like, like a, a car i take a cab to a car and like a car to his restaurant then like he walks like into something else and i'm just like this is absurd after a while like i, I think it was at that moment I, like very early, before we even got into simple jack like i was like oh this movie's a farce well no you're not wrong i think this all kind of comes to a head when um simple jack and him are trying to map out the tunnels underneath montreal I, I i think what you're saying is exactly what i thought where man they would have had this done in so much quicker speed if they had john ratzenberger right oh goddamn right <laughs> can i just say about that opening scene that you mentioned you know robert de niro's trying to drill a safe and and bust into it and a couple comes in and they're like oh we're gonna have sexy time and the uh, the woman's like, no, I want to smoke weed first. Uh, presumably weed. I'm pretty sure it was crack. Don't. I have a question, Robert. Who yeah. wants to fuck sober? That's my big question. Who wants to Rob, fuck sober? Rob. You let If a girl wants to smoke some pot before you get down and dirty, why are you angry about it? Why Rob, I, are you angry Rob. about it? Okay, go Rob, if I may ask a question. How edgy do they think they were in 2001 having it be like she wants to lay up a doobie? Like, how edgy do you think they were? Zero moment? edgy. Yeah. Zero edgy. In 2001? In 2001, yes. Zero edgy. You, you, know, had, you, had, your Nero, fucking, you had your fucking you know Method grandmas, Man and Red Man comedies you know, no, 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 way I'm not, I'm not before talking, that. No, 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 no. Two completely different audiences. What, remember, no. Gra okay. Grandma well, and Grandpa what are, you are asking going to me? this movie in 2001. Do you think the old Gucci bougie would want to see whoa, a doobie whoa. lit up what are you asking I me i do not condone that language i'll bleep it out don't worry <laughs>
Whoa. What are you Whoa, asking me? What are you real. asking me then? This got a little too real for me. Folks. Are you saying that you think the, the hot topic of this woman wanting to be high before she fucks is a new thing? I don't think it's a new thing, but I think considering the talent involved, they probably thought they were being edgy. No. 100%. No. Yes, 100%. I, don't, I don't think this is – anybody could think this is edgy. Somebody thought they were being edgy. Okay. Okay. Real quick. We should have said this whole movie is directed by Dr. Mehmet Oz. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't approve of weed. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough one. That's something I didn't research, and I don't really know in the in the early two thousands. But I I can't imagine that's a thing. Counterpoint: Zach, have have you seen the episodes of Jeopardy where Doctor Oz hosts? Uh, no. They suck. Doctor Oz is not a good host of Jeopardy. Because <laughs> okay, you know you you know right. you, you know Alex Trebek is dead, right? Are you aware of this? <laughs> Did you? Yes, I, am I, am yes, I breaking Rob, this news to you? Trebek, am I breaking this decades. news to you that Alex Trebek is dead? Just in case you were, Rob. Thank you for putting it as callous, <laughs> as, callous as humanly possible. But proceed. Uh, okay. Final thoughts. This movie sucks. Don't watch it. Right. Simple Jack. Simple Jack. In the context of Marlon Brando, like per, I would say, peruse the tr- IMDb trivia page. And maybe watch like a sizzle reel of all the simple jack scenes. I don't I wouldn't even recommend that. This is a skip. This is a hard skip as far as I'm concerned. This is one of the movies that we discuss in Cinematis where I go, Sweet Jesus, why did I burn Triples of Belleville so early? <laughs> Damn. Damn. Uh so yeah, I mean, with that being said, if you don't have anything else, Zach, for the restaurant, because I don't, next week, legally blonde? It's a perfect day. I don't like that. I don't like what you just nah, did. Nah, 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 nothing like, wrong. I don't like what you just did right perfect there. I don't like it. Stop day. it. Please stop it. No, no, no. You're fucking flat. That whole thing was flat, Zach. Stop it. Um, so uh, I, I can't even say you may, should be excited may I, for that. May, may I add a Stop saying perfect discussion? day. Stop it. Can I add a qualifier for next week's uh, discussion? I guess. I mean, no, no eating the Chihuahua. Oh well, you just fucking ruined my experience. <laughs> well, no well, Zach, Zach, one week ahead of time ruined my snacks for the episode. <laughs> Chomping down rat. on the goddamn rat dog. Well, fuck me, Zach. <laughs> we'll save that for the Taco Bell commercial episode. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, next next week is legally. Blonde, the 2001 movie, uh, I think as as of this recording, it's going to be Zach and I, and we're going to have a time with a movie Rob has never seen, and he might hate from everything he's heard about. So, Zach, I think the thing I want to end with is, why have you done this to us? You don't have to answer. You don't, you don't, you shouldn't answer. Why have you done this to us? I don't think I've liked a single movie since AI. And you're getting a lot of leverage with AI. <laughs> God damn right, Rob. Uh, we are in the cage. Yeah, Teddy, in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs>